Today's scripture reading is 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Amen. Well, we've been going through a series of messages on 1 Peter, on a series that's been entitled Our Identity in Christ. And um, this morning, we pick up again on the common theme that um, the Apostle Peter has in his inspired epistle, and that is the theme of suffering of how God's people are called to endure um, trouble and trial in this world. Uh, This passage here is a key passage in the the epistle, and uh, what we're going to do is going to have a two-part message. Uh, We've read verses 12 through 19, but actually this morning we're probably just, no, no, probably to it. We're only going to get through uh, 12 through 13, so we're just going to deal with the first two verses, and next week we'll continue on with the rest, but um, this whole section needs to be understood together. It's just that y'all wouldn't stick around for a two-hour sermon, and so I'm just going to give you a one-hour one. Amen? Amen. I know you'll be gracious enough for that. All right, well, as we go into God's Word this morning, let's pray and uh, ask the Lord that He would be again faithful to guide our hearts and our minds and open our eyes that we would see Jesus in all his beauty and glory this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once again that you come to us by your Spirit, that you convict and you comfort. Indeed, Lord, that you wound and you heal. We thank you for wounded hearts this morning, and we thank you for your healing balm. Heavenly Father, your word is precious, it's sweet, more sweeter than the honeycomb, more precious than the finest jewels. <clears throat> and so we thank you. We pray that you would bind it upon our hearts, that indeed would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And in every way that we will acknowledge you as our God and our Savior. Come now by your Spirit as you are faithful to do. Teach us, Lord, and we will be taught. Open our eyes and we will indeed see. May we see Jesus, his glory and his beauty. May he be praised forever. Amen. Amen. 
God has a purpose for your life. Okay? Let's just get that out right now. Before we go any further into this passage, before we dig any deeper into the meanings that the Lord would have. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's allergy season. And uh, it sits in my throat 24-7. But the Lord has a purpose. God has a purpose for your life. And this is not something that I've come up with, but it is something that the Bible says. In Psalm 57 and verse 2, the Word of God says, I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. The Lord has a purpose for your life. In 2002, Pastor Rick Warren published that super popular book, The Purpose Driven Life. Remarkably, that book has sold over 40 million copies. One of the reasons that that book was and is so popular with Christians and even non-Christians is because all of us, to some degree or another, beloved, are seeking to make sense of our lives. Our lives often seem like a, a series of random events, and some might call them a series of unfortunate events. And yet, at the same time, though they seem like a series of random events, most of us, most of us sincerely desire to know what it all means. What is the point? Does it make any difference? Where is it all going? Will it matter in the end? Does it have a point? Or is it all in vain? And few things, beloved, few things causes these questions and others to raise in our minds and cause us to question life's purposes and the vanity of it all quite like suffering does. Quite like pain and trouble and trial. Whatever we may have believed or whatever we may have confessed or whatever we may have experienced before, when pain comes, we focus so much on the pain that it shifts our focus to such a degree that it does not really matter, oftentimes, what I said before or what I believed. It causes us to think and rethink and ask the question, does it have a purpose? Have you, have you ever 
gone through such a difficult time or difficult patch in life or a time of sickness or rejection or a time of loss and it caused you to wonder, is it all real? Is it worth it? Perhaps you're there this morning. Perhaps you are there this morning. Maybe even this morning is causing you to doubt. To doubt your faith and to question whether or not you actually trust God. Or if it all really has a meaning. Or if God is actually really in control. Well, let me suggest to you this morning, first of all, that you're not alone. That you're not alone. Most of us who have walked with the Lord for any length of time in this world have experienced moments, times like these. In fact, <clears throat> even the best of us have questions at difficult times. John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, but even more importantly than that, <clears throat> the prophet, the man of God, called of God for an important task given by God a true and powerful word to proclaim, blessed by God in many ways. In Matthew chapter 11, the Bible says that John the Baptist was in prison. And while he was in prison, beloved, he began to wonder. To wonder, was it all worth it? He was beginning to question God's purposes for his life. He was beginning to question God's purposes for his ministry because as far as John the Baptist could see, things were not good. And his prospects were not good. He was in trouble. And he began to wonder. And he began to question. In fact, he raised the question and he sent it directly to Jesus. In Matthew 11 and verse 3, he sent word to Jesus and he says, Are you the one who was promised to come? Or do I need to look for somebody else? Because I need some help. Are you the one, or should we be looking somewhere else? Jesus sent word back to him. Didn't say, John, I'm coming to get you. Didn't say, John, I'm going to relieve you. Didn't say, John, you're going to be okay. 
He just said in verse 6, reminding them that he is the one and said, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In other words, John, keep believing and don't be offended. Keep believing. Jesus offered John these words in the midst of his persecution, in the midst of his trial, in the midst of the trouble, Jesus offered a word of comfort and encouragement to John the Baptist. He didn't break him out of jail. And we know that the trouble ultimately took John's life. but he still sent him a word of comfort and encouragement in the midst of it. I am the one, and your life has purpose, and so does the trouble, and so does the trial. This morning, beloved, I think the word of God comes to us from the inspired works of the apostle Peter to comfort and encourage us as well. The Word of God this morning has a couple of encouragements he wants to offer to us in the midst of trouble. A couple of points I think it's making this morning when it comes to us understanding our purpose and the purpose of our lives in the midst of persecution and pain. I mean, these verses teach us two things, so important, beloved. Don't miss them. Don't miss them. Open your hearts this morning. You're going to need this. If you don't need it today, you're going to need it tomorrow. Listen to what the Word of God says. The first one is expect the trial. Expect the trouble. And the second one is, claim the joy. Expect the trouble. Claim the joy. Expect the trial. You see what the Apostle Peter says, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you? And Peter begins this section here because he knows he's about to give them a tough word. He's about to give them a tough word. He understands what he's about to say. And so how does he begin this section? He begins it with a word of, in, a term of endearment. He says, Beloved, my dear ones, my beloved, dear, loved ones, it is more than just a term of affection, beloved. It is a term of identification. He says, to those of you who are loved in Christ Jesus. 
It's a term of identification. It's a term of sympathy and empathy, beloved. To the ones who have my heart and to you who have the heart of God, listen to me. I know what you're going through. He says, I'm going through it too. But I have a word for you. Trouble is sure to rise. Beloved, trouble is sure to rise. But when it comes, number one, do not deny that it's difficult. Face up to it. It's tough. It's tough. He calls these trials fiery trials. Fiery trials. The word there for, 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 for fiery is the word that is the root word uh, where we get the word pyrotechnics. Who knows what pyrotechnics are? That's what you see on the 4th of July. Fireworks. Fireworks. These are no ordinary trials. These are the trials that are like fireworks going off in your life. These are not just difficult trials, beloved, that he's talking about here. He's not just talking about difficult trials. He's talking about dangerous ones. They have the ability to take your life. And even more importantly, to take your faith. They are intense. And so as Christians, as Christians, we don't live in denial. We are not children singing, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. No, beloved, we know sticks hurt, stones hurt, words hurt too. Sometimes faith hurts. Faith hurts. Nobody, no one, beloved, no one has ever said to you truthfully that Life with Jesus would be easy. I don't know who told you that. If they told you that, they lied. The Bible never says that. Jesus never said that. In fact, in John chapter 16 and verse 33, Jesus said plainly, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. You will have trouble. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Take up his cross and follow me. And then he says, beloved, in John chapter 14, verse 27, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
When I was a young boy growing up in church, one of my favorite songs was, Must Jesus Bear the Cross Alone and All the World Go Free. No, there's a cross for everyone, and there's a cross for me. Now, when I was singing that song, I had no idea what they were talking about. I didn't understand the meaning and the significance of the at the time. I just liked the fact that it rhymed real well. There was a symmetry to it. There's a rhythm in there. When you sing that song, it just flows. But later, I would learn that singing about crosses is easy. Bearing crosses are not. Said it would be easy, beloved. Being a Christian today is not easy. Being a Christian and being married is not easy. Being a Christian and being single is not easy. I don't care what your station is in life. Being a Christian in this world is not easy because life is hard and troubles rise. Life is like trigonometry, Pastor Phil. It's hard. And it's not like geometry. There are no formulas. It's difficult, beloved. And yet, he says, these are fiery trials, but don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Beloved, don't be surprised by the fiery trials that come upon you as though something strange is happening to you. In other words, what I am saying here is not new. This is not novel. I am not the first one to say it, nor will I be the last. Trials are sure to come. Fiery trials are sure to come. And these trials may catch you off guard. But trials in this world should not surprise you. It's like when you go into a haunted house on Halloween. You walk into a haunted house on Halloween, and you walk into the haunted house, and there will be things in there that will surprise you and that will startle you and that will catch you off guard. But you should not be surprised that there are things in the house that's going to catch you off guard because you walked into a haunted house. Hello? You are living in this world, beloved. The world, the devil, and the flesh are against you at every moment. Yes, yes, yes. They catch you off guard. You weren't expecting that today. You weren't expecting that phone call. You wasn't expecting that bit of news. It catches you off guard. But if you are understanding rightly where you are, it is not a surprise. This happens. Life happens. 
trouble comes. So it is, he says, to these, to these Christians. Don't think trouble is strange. Don't think trouble is foreign to your life. It isn't, beloved. It isn't. These things come, he says, to test your faith. And the testing of faith is not new. It's not new. Someone has rightly said that the faith that is never tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And the hall of faith is filled, filled in heaven with men and women whose faith was tested. Noah had his faith tested. Job had his faith tested. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had their faith tested. Hannah and Sarah and Esther and Mary, beloved, had their faith tested. And do you and I think that we would be any different? Do you think that you would live a life of faith and not have to walk a similar road? James chapter 1 and verse 3 tells us, right? Because you know what God is doing, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. We're going to see next week, beloved, the testing of the faith oftentimes is a purging. God is determining who is really with him. Everybody walks with him in good times. The testing of the faith is a purging as with fire to find out who's really going to come through as gold. And so you can anticipate, beloved. Anticipate it. Anticipate the devil is going to fight. Anticipate the devil is going to fight. When a soldier goes to war and the bullets start flying, he is not sitting there asking what is going on. He knows that the enemy is going to fire. So it is, should be with the soldiers of the Lord. You should know, no matter how good it may be today, the enemy is going to fire. He is going to fire. It shouldn't surprise the soldier that the enemy is, sh is shooting. It shouldn't surprise you and me either, beloved. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 4, remember that? Bible says that the world is surprised when you and I don't live like them. But we shouldn't be surprised when they didn't like it. We're not surprised. We're not surprised. Expect a trial and do not 
be surprised. Do not deny the difficulty of it. But beloved, also do not let it destroy you. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to do what? To test you. To test you. God has allowed these troubles to test your faith, not to destroy it. Not to destroy it. Not to destroy it. The world's trouble is God's proving ground, beloved. Listen, listen. If it was up to Satan, he would destroy you. But it ain't up to him. And if God allows the trouble and the trial to come, he did not allow it to come to destroy you. Come to test you indeed. Jesus told Peter in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, right? Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Telling you, beloved, Jesus says, Peter, if it was up to Satan, you would be done. He has come and demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. That he might break you down and leave you Blowing in the wind. You think Satan has stopped making those demands? Notice what Jesus says, and this is the key, right? Jesus says, but, the next verse 32, but, but, Peter, but, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. It ain't up to him. I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, hello, Jesus says, when it's over, when the trial has come and the trial has gone, strengthen others to do the same. And here we have. The Apostle Peter, strengthening the brothers and sisters to do the same. He knows what it feels like to be under the attack of the enemy. He knows what it feels like to have trouble and trials come. He knows what the Lord had told him. That the trouble didn't come to destroy your faith. Trouble only came to test it. Your faith may falter, but if it is true, beloved, it will not fail. It will not fail. For nothing, nothing comes into your life except God allows it. Nothing, as, as, as difficult as it may be, as hard as it may seem, nothing comes into your life except the Lord allows it. And if the Lord allows it for a time, 
He has a purpose. He has a purpose. You may ask, but what is it then? I need to know what is the purpose in my pain? Beloved, I don't know. And you'll come to my office pleading with me and the best I get for you is I don't know. God hasn't made everything plain yet, beloved. But I got a question. I got a question. When did life become the sinner knows best? When did life become the sinner is sovereign? Job never got an answer. And yet he never stopped believing. Beloved, in this life, you may not get an answer. And when you can't see God's hand, oh, I pray that you'll be willing to still trust his heart. He has a purpose, and he has a plan. And in the end, he will make it plain. And if that is true, if you can hold on to that, in the midst of the trouble, if you can hold on to the fact that I don't care how much it hurts, I know God has a purpose. I know God is good. I know God has a plan. Then you can claim the joy. Then you can claim the joy. You can claim the joy. And that is why the Apostle Peter can say, but rejoice. Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. But rejoice. Now, beloved, I know that sounds strange. That, that just, you know, I want to do it when people come and talk to me in the midst of trouble. I just want to say, rejoice. But I don't think that's going to go over too well. The funny thing is, if it wasn't so clear, you might dismiss it. And some people dismiss it anyway. But the command of God in the midst of persecution and pain and loss is rejoice. 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 The Christian is called to rejoice. There's just too many scriptures, too many scriptures to rehearse for you this morning where the Bible is calling on us to have joy and to rejoice. But I'll just give you a few. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 16, right? Rejoice when? Always. 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 Now, I don't know about you, but when I came to understand always, always meant always. At all times. 
Whatever the circumstances, rejoice. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. The Bible says, rejoice in the Lord when? Always. And again I said what? Rejoice. This is not a suggestion. This is not optional. These are the commands of God. And he gives you these commands, beloved. Do you think that God is not aware of how difficult life can be? Do you think for a moment that God is oblivious to your situation? Of course he is not. He knows how much it hurts. He knows how confusing it can be. He knows the frustration. And still, in the midst of the frustration and the loss and the pain, he says what? Rejoice. 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 The most faithful Christians I know, the most faithful Christians I know, And the ones that I look to for comfort and encouragement are not those who have it all together. But rather, it is those who are able and willing to rejoice in the midst of the storm who can praise God through the pain. And don't think for a moment that this is uniquely only to a certain class of Christians. That only these quote-unquote super-Christians can do this. No, beloved. No, no, no. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And the same spirit given to all God's people. In the midst of the struggle, you can rejoice. In the midst of the struggle, you have to remind yourself that you have the victory. Regardless, regardless of what it looks like, regardless of the outlooks, regardless of what is happening, you have to always remind yourself You have the victory. Life may be a struggle, but you don't have to live in defeat. You don't have to, beloved. Joy is a choice. And you and I can choose joy. When we look through two lenses that the Apostle Peter gives us here, two lenses, you can choose joy. And the first lens that you look through is understanding that the ground of your suffering is the cross of Christ. That's the ground of your suffering. You can rejoice because the Lord of glory suffered for you. But he didn't just suffer for you. Understand that he suffered before you. And now it's calling you to do the same. He didn't just suffer for you. He suffered before you 
As we have said before, God does not call us to do anything that he himself is not willing to do. Christ calls us to bear our crosses because he bore the cross before us. He bore it before he calls us to do it. In Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 15, the Bible tells us that we have a Savior, we have a high priest who knows what we're going through because he's been there and he's done that. He loved you before you loved him. He suffered for you before he called you to suffer on his behalf. He suffered before you. He suffered more than you. Whatever you face, beloved, whatever it is that you are going through, Jesus did that and more. Just remember that. Just remember that. The Lord knows what you're going through because he's done it before. He knows what you're going through because he suffered more. In Hebrews chapter 12, again in verse 3 and 4, think of all the hostility endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. If you just think of all that Jesus endured, Think of all the hostility that he endured for you. And you won't grow weary. And you won't give up. After all, you have not given your lives in your struggle against sin. No, Jesus did that. So the ground of your suffering, beloved, must be the cross of Christ. Always take the bitter waters of your suffering and put them into the sweet, sweet waters of Christ's suffering on the cross and allow him to make those bitter waters sweet. That's what the cross does. The cross should remind you and give you some context, the ground for your suffering. Christ suffered on the cross, and now he calls me to do the same. But the cross that he bore might have claimed his death, but Jesus conquered through the cross, and it reminds us now that our only boast is the cross. So that becomes the ground of my suffering. It's in what Jesus suffered. If that's the ground of my suffering, then what's the goal of it all? The goal of it is the glory of Christ. That's the point. That's the point. It's the glory of Christ. You can rejoice, beloved, not only because of the cross, but you can rejoice because Christ is going to get the glory. He's going to get it. He's going to get it. You can rejoice because even though you may not understand it now, you know that even the pain has a purpose, and ultimately that purpose is the glory of Christ. It's the glory of Christ. This is the wonder of God in the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
those, those who refuse to suffer with Christ will not experience glory with him, beloved. Everything, everything, everything and everyone that God allows to get knocked down, God picks back up. That's the truth to tell throughout the scriptures, beloved. You read them, everyone, everyone that God allows to get knocked down, God picks them back up. Adam and Eve, Job, Joseph, Samson, David, Jesus. All those whom God allowed to be knocked down, he picked back up. Besides, beloved, if you don't rejoice through the pain, then you are allowing your pain to be in vain. And here's the message this morning. Don't allow the pain to be in vain. Don't allow the suffering, don't allow yourself to be enduring the suffering in vain for nothing, for no purpose. If you don't rejoice and praise God through the pain, then you're allowing the pain to be for nothing. In vain. I can understand. I can understand why the atheist or the unbeliever would think that suffering is pointless. But not the Christian. The Christian understands that nothing is pointless. God doesn't do pointless things. Nothing in life is pointless. Our lives have purpose. Our lives are purpose-driven because our lives are Christ-driven, because our lives are cross-driven. Jesus makes sense of it all. The cross makes sense of it all. The resurrection makes sense of it all. Therefore, you keep looking to Jesus. I know it's tough. Keep looking to Jesus. I know it's difficulty. I know it. I know it's difficult. I know there's pain. I know it's frustration. Keep looking at the cross. Keep holding on to the one who is holding on to you. And if you feel your grip slipping, then that's why you need to come to church. Because what we do here at church is we regrip. That's what we do here. We regrip. You feel you're slipping, that's why you don't skip the fellowship of the believers. Because in the fellowship of believers and the hearing and the preaching of the gospel, we regrip.
That's what we're doing this morning. Love is all the word is. It's just a re-gripping. Lord, when I walked in this morning, I was slipping. But I got a vision of Jesus. And I can re-grip. I feel it, Lord. I feel your spirit strengthening my grip. That's why we're here this morning, beloved. To help each other to regrip. Time, the song says, is filled with swift transitions. None on earth unmoved can stand. Build your hopes, not on things in this world, beloved. You build your hope on things eternal. And together we keep holding on to God's unchanging hand. And you regrip this morning. The Spirit of the Lord is doing. Would you yield and allow Him to strengthen your grip once again? Hold on. Change is coming. You just hold on. Let's pray.